So yeah, Kristen, today we're talking about little ones. And parenting little ones. Pa- parenting little ones. New babies, toddlers, preschoolers. Yeah. All, <laughs> all, all, the, all the things that you have. Well, I guess you don't have a new baby. I don't anymore. <sighs> they grow up so fast. Are you going to do that again? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Is that too personal? Like, if you're a parent and you haven't been asked that question, you haven't been a parent for very long. Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, this is our last. This is it, huh? That we're aware of. Okay. We are, but we do have a two-year-old in the home, yeah. and so we're right in the zone of yeah. preschool still. You are. And all the adorable, great things that they say. They, they, say, uh, they, they say adorable things that, gosh, if it wasn't a toddler saying it, it would be mortifying. Or hilarious. Or hilarious. Yeah. My, I mean, Matt and I joke all the time that we're just going to not teach our youngest child how to speak because oh, we yes. hope she says these words forever. Forever. What, what if she's, you know, 22 years old and still calling it a what? She's like, you know, kid, for lunch, I want a peanut butter and sandwich. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Yes, please don't ever, don't ever teach her not to say that because that would be great. I'd love to meet her at She 20. walks around our house wearing a tutu and saying yeah. that she's the sugar fairy plum. Yes, yeah, that's good. <laughs> great. No, that's great. Any, yeah. any other, any other, I mean, you're, you're living in the toddler world. Like, I, I don't know if there's a, you know. I don't know. You know, some of them are just your everyday Lello. And yeah. you know, she wants yeah. her vitamins at the yep. end of the day. Absolutely. All those great vowels that she can't well, quite say. You know, you're, you're talking about that. It reminds me that um, I, I don't even know what the word is, but my wife tells me that there's a word that our 14 year old daughter says incorrectly that she's been saying incorrectly since she was a toddler, that she just still has not corrected yet. And <laughs> our 14 year old actually knows that there's a word that she, that she doesn't know she says wrong and that we won't tell her. And she's like, dad, can you tell me? And I was like, I don't even know what it is, but your mom will not let me tell you because she loves it and thinks it cute. It's cute. And she's like, I'm four, I'm not cute anymore. I'm 14. So, uh, it's amazing. Yeah, it's, it's, it is, um, send her off into the world and hope she doesn't say it in an interview. No, you know, yeah. uh, that, I mean, can you, can you imagine if your daughter, you know, was, was working at some marketing firm downtown Atlanta and, um, and everyone packed their lunch and they're like, you know, what'd you go? Oh, I've got my, you know, my kale salad. Oh, I've got my peanut butter and sandwich. Yeah. You I know? brought my vitamins. I brought my <laughs> vitamins. Are you guys taking your vitamins? <laughs> um, so good. So good. Well, the reason why, why we're, um, hanging out, talking about young, talking to and parenting young kids is we've got a, we've got a special guest on the show today that, um, that really is leaning directly straight into young kids. We're talking absolutely. So a few years ago, we actually had the distinct privilege to meet the person that we're going to talk to today. Uh And we were in Memphis, Tennessee. And somebody said, while you're in Memphis, you need to go over and check out the KIPP school. That's KIPP Memphis. And so we took an afternoon. We went over to Kip Memphis. We showed up and just fell in love, not just with the school itself, but the leader who was the founding lead teacher of the school. Hmm. And that's who we're talking to today. Her name's Sarah Jensen. She has a background in neuroscience. What? And as a neuroscience kind of background learner, all about the brain and the mind, she started her career as a kindergarten teacher And has a focus on early childhood. And when we watched her, Sarah Jensen, interact with the kids in her school, Mm. there was just something unique about it. Wow. She's walking through the hallway. When she's talking to kids, you kind of wanted to just turn on a recorder and Uh record everything she says because you went, there's something about the way you talk to a child that's different than I've ever heard Mm. in an adult speaking with a child. And it was just a sense of dignity and respect 
maybe like I've never seen it before. And so we wanted to bring Sarah on the podcast to have a conversation so that she could help us uh, move the needle just a little bit. I know mm-hmm. when I listen to her, sometimes I think, wow, I'm not sure I'm very good at talking to my kids. Right, yeah. Oh, those people. I just say all the things that I heard my parents say or some other parents say, but but when I listen to her, it challenges me to think and be a little bit more intentional about the words I use with my young children yeah. and how I approach our conversations and why our conversations matter so yeah. much. Yeah, so good. Well, I'm excited to listen to the interview. So guys, hopefully you are too. Here is Kristen's interview with Sarah Jensen. Sarah, thank you so much for being with us today. It is great to have you here on Parent Q, where we get to have this exciting and really, really helpful conversation. Um, so thank you for joining us. I am excited to be here. The sun is shining and, you know, always fun to talk with parents about what they can do for their kids. Yeah. So when we first met you, we were um, in Memphis And somebody said, hey, you've got to go meet Sarah. She is the founding school leader of KIPP Memphis, and you just need to check out her school. So we showed up at your school. Um, You were gracious uh, on the spot to host us through the classrooms and the hallways. And the thing that stood out to us when we were touring your school was just watching your interactions with kids and it was like watching a just somebody who's a master of their craft, a master at some kind of art form. And, and we wanted to go, wait, wait, how are you doing what you're doing? How do you have the relationships that you have with these children? How are you um, speaking with these kids? It just caught us off guard um, to watch you in that element. So the conversation we wanted to have today is how do you talk to a younger child? I mean, if you think about it, most of us, our entire lives, we communicate with somebody who's peer-to-peer, same age group, or maybe they're older than us. And then in our young adult world, um, a lot of that is a professional communication style that we use in our workplace. Then you enter into parenting, and all of a sudden, you're trying to communicate with this little human um, who has far more emotions than they do words. They're more likely to you know, hit their head on the wall or scream and pitch a fit and start weeping and wailing over something than they are to use their words and communicate back. So tell us just a little bit about this particular skill of speaking to young children. What's helped you develop the skill of speaking to young children? I think a few things. I think, um, you know, when it comes to really entering their world, it helps me to remember they're learning things I forgot I learned. Hmm. And so when I remember that they've only been on this planet for X months or X years, it really helps give me perspective to, one, my expectations of them, but two, how to have a conversation with them and how to talk with them so they feel like they're part of this learning. Hmm. Not that they're doing something wrong or not that they're um, confused, because really they're not. They're just brand new social beings who are learning in every moment. Got it. So... When I made the sandwich that my kid asked me to make, but I didn't cut it the way that they wanted me to cut it, and then they're falling on the floor screaming and declaring that they will not eat this sandwich any longer and that it is, you know, dead to them and I I am a terrible mother. (laughs) What is the way, you know, how would you tell me as a mom, you know, what should be my thought process in that moment? I guess I would 
ask you if you've ever felt that way recently about something (laughs) other than a sandwich, right? Like the reality is as humans, one of our most powerful functions is to be able to think ahead and think we know what's going to happen. And for a little person, that might be the shape their sandwich is going to be in. Hmm. Their world is composed of shapes. They want to count on the shape that they're in their mind are about to eat. Hmm. And so that's big for them. For me, I expected the Iowa Hawkeyes to win one of their football games. When that did not happen, (laughs) I was very upset. My husband was worse. And so I think I would just say, hey, just remember that's still part of you. It's just you've advanced past a sandwich. So, but when I get disappointed at work, I can't actually throw myself on the floor. So where where is it that we kind of, what's our job as parents to go, okay, hey, in my communication back to you, I can understand what it's like to be disappointed Mm -hmm. and yet maybe this is not the appropriate response well I think one is to perhaps be open to the idea that for them it is Hmm. and what I mean by that is true their world seems to be falling apart when we know it's okay but that's just it we know and they don't Hmm. so the conversation might be to honor where they are it might be to say huh what were you thinking the sandwich was going to look like Hmm. hmm Well, let's look at the shapes we have. So this has happened to me with one of my cousin's children, which is great. And so I had cut it in triangles. Well, mom always cuts it in half into rectangles. And so this was not, it just was not a good thing that I did. Um, And she has four kids. It was... That's funny. We didn't talk about this illustration ahead of time. It's just there's certain things that I think can set, uh, you know, the world on fire. And so I remember sitting there with Jack and asking him, like, well, what did you think it was going to look like? And he's two and he can't even even tell me exactly what he thought and I said well can you point to something that looks like your sandwich how your mom makes it and so he points to I don't remember I think it was a napkin on the table Mm. right and so he's like so then I simply take the sandwich that we have I said you know what and I'm talking with him Mm -hmm. because I don't want him to come across like oh I've got all the magic answers Sarah will fix it for you Mm. because I won't but together we can figure out how to make this sandwich okay Mm. So in that moment, I said, okay, well, what could we do? And I took the knife, and I kind of cut a corner of the triangle off, and I cut the other. Now we've got a square. And all of a sudden, he was like, hmm. And he was okay. So I ate the triangles. He ate the squares that were left, and we were okay. Wow. So I think for a two-year-old, that's the appropriate amount of redirection. Um, Older kids, I probably would have let them have their time, four or five. Just, And I just say, you know what? I'm here. Whenever you're ready, I'm here to talk with you about what happened. Hmm. And I'd make sure they're not hurt. And I'd let them scream as long as they wanted. (laughs) And when they're done, I'd ask them if that was helpful. Hmm. Did crying help? That's interesting. I like your, uh, when you say you almost entered into the same world to problem solve together um, with them, which I think is sometimes hard because I think, you know, as an adult, I so often see the solution already. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard for me to have the patience to step back and go, okay, let me get on their level, act like I don't see the solution to this problem, act like it isn't clear, you know, what we're supposed to do here in this moment, and then try to come alongside and have a conversation as if we're figuring this out um, at the same time together. Mm-hmm. That's really great. Um, I think you said something really powerful there what you did was you backed away enough to be open to something else. Hmm. Because the truth is the solution you see is oftentimes one of many. That's not true. My solution's usually right. (laughs) Fair enough. I mean, I got lucky (laughs) that Jack was able to tell me, right? No, I know. I know. (laughs) 
how it feels as a parent sometimes. <sighs> um, Sarah, when we were together with you at your school, watching you have these conversations with kids, you said something to us that stuck with us for a long time, which was about the value of language acquisition and words for young children. Um, what is the value of giving young children vocabulary? It's the same thing you see when you teach a baby sign language. It's freedom. It's an ability for the child to have a productive way to let you know what they're needing or what they think they need, even if they don't need it. Um, so how do, you, how do you do that? How do you help a kid grow their vocabulary? Play with them. Play with them, play with them, play with them, and play their game. So I so, have to pretend to be a mermaid. You do. <laughs> you really do. And actually, you even if you're not going to be the mermaid, you can engage in a conversation about whatever your child's playing with. So if I'm observing a child who's got blocks in front of them, okay, you know, whether they're Lincoln logs or building blocks or those fancy Lego things, whatever, <laughs> um, I'm just going to be watching for what they're doing. And so the strategy I'm about to give you, um, it's from the Atlanta Speech School. So they're amazing. It's an acronym that literally couldn't be more clear. Talk. So the T is tune in. So if you're not the playful type, like one, I'd encourage you to try a little bit. But if you're not. I am not the playful type, <laughs> and that's Sarah. Okay. You called me out. <laughs> and that's wonderful because what kids want more than a play partner, they want someone to care about their play. Their play is their work. It's important to them. It's, it's, it's the thing that lights them up. And likely what they play will have lasting effects into adulthood as to how they experience work and how they experience being productive. So as you're watching your child reenact something with mermaids, you know, they're off in their own little world and that's wonderful. If you are able to enter their world by tuning in, which is the T, noticing what they're doing, you're able to then formulate an open-ended question to ask them. That's the A. So... Ooh, I might ask, you know, a child playing with blocks. Ooh, I noticed that you're kind of putting these together here and these together here. Why are you doing that? What are you creating? Hmm. Now, I will be very honest. My knee-jerk reaction is, oh, you made a house. And I decide that that's a house. It might not even be a house. Right. Then the kid is like, oh, yeah, okay. And they're all of a sudden like, now I guess I'm making a house. Darn hmm. it. Um, and we don't even know that that happens. Right. But by asking an open-ended question, the child will likely respond with something much bigger than you see because it's their world. I have actually seen this. My middle child is a an artist at heart. I mean, she loves to draw. We cannot have enough white paper on hand, so she draws pictures all the time. And very early on, I, w I made a lot of that mistake where I would look at her drawing and I would say, what a beautiful whatever. Um, you know, wow, what a great this. And she would always look at me and go... That's not what that is. So <laughs> like, yeah, okay, thanks for playing, mom. Um, but when I began to ask a question that was more like, "Tell me about your drawing," you mm -hmm. know, "Tell me what you have done here," she had these remarkable insights, even into her emotions and her feelings. And she would explain that this person's eyebrows were angry, mm -hmm. you know, or that this person was feeling alone. And so there was all kinds of uh, insight for me to gain through those open-ended questions even even to the extent of I, I joke all the time she drew a picture of our family where um 
everybody was the same height except for one person over there in the corner small. And so there's just these things that you begin to laugh and go, wait, 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 wait tell me about that. Mm-hmm. Why did you draw um, this over here the way you did? Um, so it's fantastic to explore in their world. So that's tune in. Ask, ask an open-ended question. Okay. And the open-ended is huge. Yes, no questions are going to end at yes or no. That's it. That's all you're going to get. But if it's an open-ended question, you're all of a sudden going to get inside their minds. Um, And then I'm listening for language. So the L is lift the language. So if the child who's playing with the blocks tells me, yes, I'm making, you know, a farm, I'd say, oh my goodness, you have planned out a farm you have now, oh, look at this pl- these plots that you've done. Now I'm using some language um, to lift what they've said. Okay. And then I'll say, so why did you make this over here? Why can't it go here? Another open-ended question. The, the um, K is keep it going. So your goal is to keep the conversation going for five exchanges. Wow. Which is very, very hard. Now, I would not recommend this with a toddler. I would not <laughs> recommend, right, like... So understand you don't want language to be frustrating. And for that reason, I'm going to give you a few tips if you have a child who's not yet verbal Mm. because there's nothing wrong with them not being verbal. Language is receptive and productive. And it's something that's really important to honor. Do not make your child talk. Hmm. When they're hearing you, their receptive language is building. And when they're ready, it's going to spew out like volcanic lava, right? I mean, it's just going to be never ending, So Um, what would you say, because this is just a thing, you know, I mean, I pick up things along the way and parenting, you get in the moment where a young kid is emotional and they have all the feelings and mm -hmm. all of the um, body language Mm -hmm. and there's the phrase, use your words, use your words to communicate what you're feeling Mm -hmm. is a cue to say, you know, tell me about that in words. Are you saying don't say that? Are you saying that's helpful or or what are you saying to that I think that's a great phrase as long as both people are in the mental capacity to understand it and so um, as an adult if I'm really upset about something and someone told me to use my words (laughs) I don't think that I would (laughs) right like I think I would become even more exacerbated and our kids are the same way you have some very specific physical responses, I think, in that situation. So I think in those instances, I would more name and notice what I see. So I might even say, wow, your face looks red. Are you feeling hot? Mm -hmm. Ground them in their bodily experience because that will have a calming effect. They'll be able to go from fight, flight, or freeze into their emotional core, what they're feeling, and then into the CEO of their brain and decide Mm -hmm. what to do about it. And it's once they get to the CEO that they're back in charge of their little body, that you would say, let's use your words now so you can tell me what you're thinking. That's great. (laughs) That is so helpful. Now, why why does it matter the way that we speak to kids? Why is it such an important thing um, that we work on this craft? You know, it's certainly not necessary Mm -hmm. in some ways and definitely harder. Well, for the child, your voice will likely become their inner dialogue. Wow. And so when you think about the way you're speaking to them, it's the way they'll learn to talk to themselves. It's the way that they'll learn to talk with their future partner. It's the way that they'll learn to talk with their best friend. It's the way they'll learn to make a friend. It's, I'm backstepping, right? right. It's, it's the way right. that they're going to learn how to interact with the world and either see the world as a place they can make better or see the world as a place they can mess up. 
So how can you, in communication with a young child, shape the way that they see the world? I mean, you said, I mean, that's a pretty powerful statement that our communication with a child shapes their potential to see how the world gets better. Is that what you were saying? Mm -hmm. So how does that work? Explain that a little bit. So if, if I'm interacting with a child and I always have the answer mm -hmm. and I'm always telling them, stop doing that, do this, even if I'm explaining why, like it's still saying you don't have the answer I do. So wow. you're kind of messing the world up. I'm getting you back on track. Now, if I slow myself down and I engage them and try to help one, me see where they're at and two, have them have a chance to see their impact, all of a sudden they're like, oh, when something happens, I, I can figure out what to do. That's Not I know what to do, but I can figure it out. So walk me through a scenario, maybe where that might be taking place in the average day of a young child, that you would um, be maybe encountering something where they have this potential to either hear from you, hey, you're off track and I'm going to help you get back on track, or to hear from you, this is a place where you can shape your own reality. Sure. So... <laughs> I'm going to actually use an example from my childhood, if that's okay. Great. Um, I think a lot of why I speak to kids the way that I do is from my mother. Um, I was very young, and I was in the stage of I need to do everything. And it was from opening the door to our apartment to opening, choosing the vegetable we were going to have from the can to, so we had come home, I'd open the door. My mother is very pregnant with my sister. She, you know, but she always had so much patience she will laughingly say she made a mistake in not asking me what type of canned vegetable I wanted to have for dinner, <laughs> even though that's, you know. Right. So I was in my room. I came out and she had already opened the can. Mm -hmm. And it was the one can of mixed vegetables that we had left. So actually, now I'm thinking about it. Reverse that. So I had picked the can of vegetables. It was mixed vegetables. That okay. is what I wanted. I went to my room. I came back out and she had opened it. Heaven forbid. In my mind, that was going to be my big contribution to dinner. <laughs> and so in that moment, um, I took, and we had a carpeted kitchen, which is very 80s of us, and I took it and I flinged the can and mixed vegetables everywhere. Yes. And I'll never forget, my mom did not yell at me. She did not use anger in her voice. She looked at me and she said, you need to go to your room right now while I get control of myself. Hmm. And as a young, young child, I, I still can feel it like in my chest. But the difference is she could have said, why did you do that? We don't do that. Da, da, da. That would have been had feelings of shame, feelings of guilt, feelings of I'm bad, I'm in trouble. And now I'm going to my room because I'm afraid that my mom is mad at me. Hmm. Instead, I got to experience my own actions. Hmm. She didn't tell me how to feel with her voice. She didn't tell me I had done wrong with her words. She simply gave me the space to see what she saw. Hmm. I slowly came back out. I looked at her. The vegetables are still on the floor. And she says, so what have you been thinking? <laughs> she's not mad. She's fine. She's cool. She's calm. And it's genuine. Like, I, even kids read energy. Sure. And I was like, can we still have mixed vegetables? Yeah. And it was the last can. And she right. said, no, we can't. That was the last can. And I'm so grateful because there are a million moments like that in my life where instead of her telling me I'm wrong or in trouble, she gave me the time hmm. to figure it out. 
That's great. I will just confess to you right now in my own parenting, there have been moments I was not as good at reacting to my kids <laughs> as your mother. Um, I mean, I still remember, and I've told this story before, the day that my four-year-old son cut his sister's hair and I just keep thinking through and I was like, man, a great response in that moment would have been <laughs> some space where I asked him what he was thinking. I did not employ that. So that's fantastic <laughs> insight um, for us. It is hard to be in the everyday with a toddler, a preschooler, uh, when all of those emotions are running hot mm-hmm. um, and to take that space Um, to step away from that situation is really great. Now, when we met you, another fascinating thing about you, Sarah, was you kind of have this neuroscience background um, in your education. You're an avid learner, avid reader. And so I feel like there's some things that are kind of deep inside of you that you understand the inner workings of a kid's brain at a different level than most of us. And for that reason, what do you see going on in a kid's brain and why communication specifically is important well one kids are always going to communicate with us whether or not they have the words is variable Mm -hmm. so behaviors are them talking to us their body language their tantrums their and i'm always so grateful when a child shows me those things Mm -hmm. because then i know they're trying to tell me something Mm -hmm. i get nervous and i get scared understanding how the brain works if there's kind of a no reaction or something upsetting happen and it, there's kind of apathy. Wow. Because then I wonder about how their brain is able to connect. Do they have a connection to their emotional core? Wow. Maybe not. And so I guess by knowing how the brain works, I invite a little bit of eruption because that lets me have a gateway into what do they need to learn in this moment. Interesting. So what would you say are some things that you think about when you see a kid who maybe? doesn't have those hot reactions you know maybe they are just a little bit more I mean I think of my own children there's different personality types extrovert introvert you know if you see a kid that maybe just doesn't have quite as much of a reaction um, how would you proceed in communicating well it depends right and just like you said it depends on the kid Um, my sister and I we could not be more opposite I'm very fiery and you'll know my yeah my whole family can attest my heart is on my sleeve Mm -hmm. my sister is calmer She's going to take some time to process. And so I think by honoring where kids are, what would be a flag if you notice a change in your child? Hmm. Demeanor is real. And so if your child's naturally more calm, don't freak out. Right. But if you've got a really fiery kiddo and all of a sudden, or maybe over the course of six to eight weeks, they've become kind of quiet and just not themselves. Withdrawn, yeah. That's when... I would take a look into that. Mm. So what are some common mistakes that you think adults make when we're talking to young children? I mean, what do you, what do you look around and you go, you know, you probably saw that somewhere or these things are passed on generationally, uh, but what are just some of the mistakes that we make? I think sometimes parents are so darn proud of their kids and they want to kind of, one, get the instant feedback that their kid knows stuff. And we think that means like, ooh, name that color, you know, showing up. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with learning colors. But learning colors actually doesn't happen on flashcards. Mm -hmm. Learning colors happens in life by just talking as you're going on a walk and all of those things. So I think 
some mistakes we make is, you know, showing or wearing a shirt. I'm wearing a green shirt. You can't see me. But if I ask a kid, oh, what color is my shirt? They're set up to be right or wrong. If they don't know what color it is, they're not going to learn from that interaction Hmm. because we're not wired to be right, wrong, binary people. We're wired to absorb our experience. So it'd be better for me to say, ooh, this is my favorite color of green. Do you like the color of green? And then they'll say, why? Why not? You know, like those are the questions. And second of all, if they do know that it's green, they're looking at you like, this lady doesn't know her colors? Like, what's wrong with her, (laughs) right? Um, And so I think that's, that's, you know, these right, wrong questions in super simple things um, or count to 10, count to 10 with no context or no purpose of counting to 10. So what would be a better way to to go about talking about numbers? When you're in the grocery store, can you get me three apples so we can all have one if my family has three? Oh, can, if we all want to have two apples this week, let's think about this. How many apples do we need? There's dad, there's me, there's you. Oh, we probably, well, let's find out, you know, and then they can count that way. I mean, if you're Um, listening to Sarah right now, you can probably hear why we chose her to have this conversation. There's so many ways. I just wanted to record these conversations with you and just say, I don't know that I am able to think that quickly and that intuitively about how to respond to children. Um, But stepping back, entering into their world and um, engaging this way is just uh, second nature to you. Help a parent who maybe isn't as... um, maybe good at this naturally, what advice would you give us just really practically on how we speak to young children in these ways? First thing is you're better than you think you are. Mm -hmm. You are the expert on your child always. And you probably know so much that you forget there's always more to learn. I think we know that about our best friends, right? I think we know that about our parents or our family members that we're close to. We're always learning more. And so... If you can just up your curiosity about your kid, you'll find that the questions you begin to ask them are more about learning who they are deep down inside and who they were born as, right? And who they're learning to be all at the same time. That's great. So one thing we do at ParentQ is we always want to give parents one takeaway. What is one thing that any parent, especially a parent of a younger child, could leave today, go do this week, and it would improve their communication with their young child? So I'm going to say, if you can mentally just go through this decision-making process of I'm going to try to do things with my child. I'm going to try not to do something for them that they can do themselves. And I'm going to try not to do something to them, but I'm going to do it with them. That's the counting. That's great. That's great. I love that. Um, It is definitely something that requires patience, I think, on our part. When I think about my own parenting to do with A two-year-old requires so much patience, so much time, so much intentionality. Um, So uh, that is something I want to go put into practice just right now. I have a two-year-old in my own home, um, so I'm living this out. She's right in that zone that you were talking about, wanting to do it all herself, but not quite capable to do it all Mm -hmm. herself. Um, But we will practice doing with, doing together. Um, and trying to improve our conversations. Thank you so much for joining us and for being here with us to have this conversation on Parent Cube. Absolutely. Thank you.
What a great conversation with Sarah Jensen. There was a lot in there, um, and we always like to um, leave leave with a cue. But I feel like Kristen, there there was so much. I'd love for you to even you know maybe give us a. Uh, one or two things maybe that, that stuck out to you during your conversation with her. As a parent of a two-year-old, there's there's times when I think, wow, I'm listening to everything you're saying. And I think 90% of the time, I must be messing it up with my kid. Um, but again, it just was inspiring me to think through, what if I had an engaging conversation with my two-year-old where I tried to go back and forth four rounds, like she wow. talked about where I participate in a conversation back and forth. I say something, you say something, I say something, you say something up to four times. I'm not even sure that I do that. Um, But participating in their imaginative world, getting on their level, so many different great insights. So good. No, no, the insights were great. And, And then specifically where she kind of drilled down to this specific cue for you guys. We love to give you one cue. And here it is. Remember that you're better than you think you are. When it comes to this, you are the expert on your child. Always. You always are. So I love it. Be intentional about doing things with your child, not just for them, not just to them, but be intentional this week as your cue about doing something with your child. Guys, hopefully you enjoyed today's episode of Parent Q Live. Kristen, thanks for Christina. Thanks for hanging out with me. Always good. Yeah, always good to talk to again, the moms and the dads, the brothers and sisters that are listening to the podcast or 14 14 year olds that are that are trying to figure their parents brain out um and if you guys wouldn't mind we would love for you to go and leave us a rating or review on itunes i know i ask you this all the time but listen it really really does help um it helps push the podcast up in the itunes algorithm it helps with all kinds of things so please do that uh, if you want more um, from this conversation, head over to theparentq.org. We're going to have show notes there as well. Subscribe, share this with your friends. And um, for Christina Ivy, this is Carlos Whitaker saying we'll see you next time on Parent Q Live. <laughs>